0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What what are we doing?
2: What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives. What what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR, Sports Radio 550. So then you asked
0: yourselves, isn't there
3: something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. Welcome to the week.
4: It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase on WGR. It is Super Bowl week. Sabres are back. There's a lot happening. Bandits will be playing on Friday, so you'll have them here on our station on Friday night. Sabres on Tuesday and Thursday. You get me tonight, and you get me on Wednesday. And today is kind of a its a sad day in sports. It's a unique situation for me personally. You know, being on the air a couple years here, and it really wouldn't matter how long I've been on the air um because this is uh such a unique situation and a unique day yesterday more so with Kobe Bryant passing away yesterday. And if you've got any stories on growing up watching Kobe or I know in the morning show they did this with Howard and Nate this morning that they wanted people to call in if you had seen Kobe Bryant play basketball live. And I would love if people called in with with that if you have it. Um whether that be traveling up to Toronto or to Cleveland or maybe even in LA. Um, yeah, give, give me a call at 8030550. You could send me a tweet also at WGR. Always checking that. And that's something that it's always going to be like, you know how big music fans will say this a lot? Like, oh, I wish I got to see that person in concert, right? Like, I want to see this guy in concert before it's over. And I'm starting to appreciate legends in sports more and more. And I think the same way about certain things like that. I'm sure there are plenty of sports fans who do the same. That, all right, I'd love to see, you know, if you haven't seen him, I'd love to see Tom Brady play football before he's gone. I'd love to see Peyton Manning play football before he's gone. I'd love to see Alex Ovechkin on the ice before he retires. Basketball. I'm starting to treat that that way, and it's even bigger in the NBA because it's become so individualistic that what I've discovered becoming an NBA fan really in the last, you know, 10 years. Like, I didn't grow up with the sport, and in large part, that's because, you know, kid growing up in Buffalo, New York, you've got a football team, you've got a hockey team, there's not really big, big big-time college basketball, there's no NBA, and... You know, generally, NBA's not going to become one of your favorite sports very easily like that when you come up in that setup. And as I started to discover basketball, and really, I love the sport. I love the NBA. I generally am not so much of a diehard fan that I'm watching every game during the week. But, you know, if there's a good game on in the regular season, I'm watching it. I'm enjoying it. And then, to me, the playoffs are just must-see television. When it comes to sports, there are few things more entertaining than the NBA playoffs, and especially the NBA Finals. The NBA Finals are amazing. I've always said I like the Stanley Cup playoffs, I think they blow the NBA playoffs out of the water in totality, but when you match up the Finals, the NBA... Is where it's at. It's more, there are more stars, there is more drama, there is more late game drama, there are more more swings, emotional swings, back and forth. And what's interesting is, before I discovered any of that, any of that, as an NBA fan, Kobe got you there. Kobe Bryant got you to the TV, and whether it was those Celtic series, whether it was the them winning the finals over the Orlando Magic, Kobe Bryant in the Lakers, you were watching that. They were they were polarizing because you know they're the, they're the big they're the glamour team, right? The Lakers are always good, and they're in a big city, and Kobe's this big star with a big ego, and it's like you can't root for that, right? But some people would, of course. The guy's got as big a following as any sport athlete I've seen. Or you're ruining it against that guy. That was polarizing. And that brought you there. That brought you to the game. And before I talk more about what Kobe really was as a player and what really I witnessed, and I'm glad I did get to witness it, at least, you know, not in person, not in the games, uh, not at the games, in the, physically in the arena, but getting to watch him over the, the the back half of his career. Yesterday was just was a weird day. And I'm sure a lot of people had this same feeling. Bulldog mentioned this right at the top of the show um, at 3 o'clock, that you can't really anticipate how hard things like that are going to hit you. And, you know, on the surface i couldn't have told you like it's it doesn't come right to the forefront like what kobe bryant means as an athlete to you and when you think like if someone were to ask me before the weekend who are your sports heroes growing up i'm probably not getting to kobe bryant very quickly but when a sudden death like this happens it just it, it puts everything in perspective And suddenly, you wish that you had all of the knowledge you had of the person, all of the feelings, the thoughts you had of the person while they were still with us. And that's the part that really sucks about this weekend, what happened yesterday. Is, you know, not always, in fact, a lot of times, doesn't it just stink that like the person... You, all of these incredible things are being said about them, by everybody. What they meant to them, whether you knew them or not, and that you don't get to hear that while you're still around. Like that—that's the part about that I—that I've discovered in, especially, people that are just inspirations and iconic. What their deaths mean, that day and period of time of reflection after they're gone. It's just, you would wish it would happen before that they were gone. And yesterday was such a weird day because that that hit me harder than I thought it was going to. It really did. I was never a big Kobe Bryant fan. I I might have more respect for him as an athlete, though, as anybody. It, It was a different kind of respect. It was a different kind of fandom. This is not, you know, watching the Buffalo Sabres as a kid, watching Brian Campbell and Danny Briere and Ryan Miller and playing the Ottawa Senators. It's not that kind of rooting for a guy. It's not like the Bills even with Josh Allen or the Bills back in the day um with Kelly in them. Like it's not it's not like that. But has there been a guy that you talk about in sports that there is more universal respect for the craft than there was for Kobe cuz that was all what was coming out yesterday and i think i had the same reaction to the news that most people did like what Kobe Kobe Bryant and that was the that's the weird thing like there are no there's not a lot of Kobes in the world right name another Kobe so when you get the text Kobe Kobe died that was the text that's how I found out I was not on social media when it happened I just got one text message from my brother Kobe died you read that and you're like okay he's either just being an idiot right now being a jerk or somebody in what the the news world the reporting world is just wrong they've just got it complete mess up someone got hacked this is not really what happened. Because it's so out of the blue. It's not like it's not like the guy was sick. It's not like you would have seen this coming in any way shape or form. Kobe Bryant's been around. He has been like at games. There's the video that's going kind of viral around Twitter right now with his daughter Gianna. They're in the front row of a Nets Hawks game. Of all teams, of all matchups in the NBA, they're at a Nets Hawks game, and Kobe is explaining something on the court to Gianna, who, of course, is was an up and coming basketball player in her age group. Like he was around Luka Doncic, who is this this upcoming bright superstar in the NBA, who might be in the MVP conversation this year, just drafted last season, like a, a new bright star in the NBA from Europe. There's video last week, two weeks ago. Kobe in the front row at the Mavericks game. And he's slapping up Luca. He's like messing with him, but in a joking way. And Luca is talking about how amazing that is, how cool it is, that Kobe even knows who he is. So, he was around. He was in the news. Now, maybe if you're a casual observer to the NBA, he's not. But in NBA circles, in basketball circles, watching games... Following it on social media, like Kobe Bryant's been around, he is getting into many business. Uh, he was getting into many business ventures that other players tend to do or try to do in their post uh, their post careers. The guy won an Oscar last year. He's got a couple of media. Com- he's got a media company. He is worth over three hundred million. Worth over three hundred million dollars. So he knows what he's doing business wise. He's got that intelligence on that side of things. And then you just see Kobe died. And I, like many people who probably found out that way, ran to social media. And that's really... I, I think I got there right when it just started... It just it started spreading like wildfire. But one observation I'll make from yesterday and that I was just disgusted from yesterday was what Twitter became. Now, once facts started to really hit the light of day. Twitter Twitter really came through. People sharing stories of Kobe Bryant, people sharing videos, people spreading good things that he's done in communities and what he's done business-wise and what he was like as a father and how he talked about his kids even whenever that hit the public eye. It was a wealth of knowledge that you didn't have before that now everybody is just spreading around and is everybody is sharing. And that was cool. But beforehand, Twitter was just like, I had to log off. I had to, I, I am usually keeping my eye on social media, Twitter mostly, once in a while to see what's going on. I just had to shut it down. You had MSNBC reporting. The wrong thing about who was in the helicopter. You had just people rushing to how many victims there were. And again, who was in the helicopter? Like we We heard that like three different ways before we finally found out the truth. Reporting in that instance, as somebody who doesn't really have that much of a background in journalism. Like, I didn't start out as a newspaper reporter, like some guys that are on air here at the station are. So I don't really have quite the background in that space. But, I don't know. My thought process is, why are we worried so much about being the first to get to it? That's not that's not the news media world anymore. People will find out. And it's doesn't really matter who gets it first anymore, does it? Does it really matter who gets it first anymore? It's about who gets it right. And I was just, I was disgusted by some of the reporting that was going on yesterday in Twitter and some, some of what was going on just was incredibly irresponsible. Um, I'm not quite to the level of, I think TMZ should never have come forward with the news in the first place and reported it. I, I do think that in a situation like that, maybe you have to find a system, you have to find a way to not have that hit the public before the family knows, because that's out there right now. That the sheriff, the sheriff's department uh, in LA, they're they're upset because before they were able to contact the families, TMZ had already reported it. That's not a good situation. That's not a good spot. You don't want that. So I'm not going too far forward with this. That hey, you can't report it at all, but. It needed to be more responsible, it needed to be more courteous on a day like yesterday when the news is that momentous, the news is that big, and when people are losing lives like that, and how many people would have been affected by it, I would have liked to see more responsibility on Twitter. Now, I don't know. I don't really know how to put into words what Kobe meant to me as a sports fan because I don't really know all the way what Kobe did mean to me. I think maybe part of it is just recency bias and I think about how I act as a sports fan and how I acted as an athlete growing up just playing kids sports and me personally like I'm a hyper uber competitive person. When I get into it could be bar league hockey, it could be pickup street hockey, it could be Playing catch in the yard. It doesn't matter. I get competitive about things. And I always, part of my respect for Kobe Bryant was that. Like, he was competitive to the extreme. This guy was calling teammates trash in practices because they weren't giving the effort that he was satisfied with. He was calling his teammate Dwight Howard soft. Who, by the way, he—they were trying. The team was trying to convince to stay there long term. He didn't care. He wasn't gonna butter you up. He was. He thought you were soft. He was gonna tell you he was soft. Didn't play nice with others. You know, that level of competitiveness. Getting up in the gym. The, the other picture that I saw this morning of him working on free throws in the gym while he is still in pajama pants. Like, he's in the gym working on free throws. And there are so many stories about how competitive Kobe Bryant was. And it almost makes me think about how that word and that type of phrasing is so overused in the sports world today. Right? Anybody in any sport gets traded for or signed or someone new shows up. Or you really ask any player on another player's... Or you ask a player on their opinion of another player. And what do you generally hear? Oh, this guy, he wants to win. He's a competitor. He is a really competitive guy. Like, all, all types of... That type of phrasing. You hear it all the time. It's so overused. It's so watered down. That it makes a day like today and yesterday... It makes you wish that that wasn't the case. Because now... It maybe doesn't hold as much water. How competitive this guy was. He was on another level. How many guys, can you even argue, are in the same realm as he was? Like Tom Brady, maybe. Michael Jordan before that. And like I'm not sure I want to put anybody else up there. Sometimes it was his downfall. You know, once he gets... And I almost respect that in, in a way as well. Once Kobe Bryant got into his 30s as a player... After they win the championship in 2010, the Lakers start to flutter. Why? Because Kobe is the man. He is the ego. He is the team. Big contract, all of it. Everything centers around him. And the hyper-competitiveness that he had, keeping others away potentially, when I'm talking about like other big egos coming in through the door. They don't want another Shaq situation, something like that. And then it started to be a hindrance towards the team. That's why they didn't make the playoffs for a bunch of years in a row. In fact, to this day, they haven't made the playoffs in, what, like six, seven years? It's been a while since the Lakers were in the postseason. And part of that was, hey, Kobe's in his 30s, he's not... Quite the same player that he used to be in his prime or even once he hit his 30s. And we just don't, without getting another superstar, we don't have the supporting staff to be able to continue to win at this level. And part of that was his competitiveness. But obviously, you're not going to take that away from him. He won five championships because of that. There are so many things about him that you just might you're never going to see again. The competitiveness maybe is that. Maybe the competitiveness is that. Maybe we never see some somebody to that extreme again, to that level. He also and when you think about what today's NBA is, it's just what? Super teams. It is stars teaming up with each other and they're going to it doesn't even matter really what team it is. Anybody, the Miami Heat, the Golden State Warriors, the Cleveland Cavaliers, it doesn't matter. It's just stars who are buddies, getting together, teaming up, and we're going to go win a championship. This is how we're going to do it. Right? Friends just joining each other. And it's always multiple stars now. The Warriors had four. The, uh, the Cavaliers had three. The Heat had three. Who before that? Who am I missing? The Celtics. They had three. Kobe, until this last year, when Kawhi Leonard did it with the Toronto Raptors, and he had some help, but Kawhi was on such another level that he was the first and the only championship, this last one with the Raptors, since Kobe and the Lakers won it in 2010, where you could go, oh yeah, that guy won it. That was no super team. That, That guy... Carried his team to a championship. Kawhi Leonard did that last year, and then you've got to go a decade back to find another team that did it, and it was Kobe. Twice with the Lakers. Pau Gasol is there. I know big-time Laker fans, basketball fans will tell me Pau Gasol was an all-star player. He was, but you cannot argue for a second that the Lakers had some super team here. This guy was so good in his prime that he did not need the help that every team for the next 10 years needed. And his game is something you might never see again because it's all three-pointers now. There's just there's so much that makes yesterday just it makes it suck. All of it. And when I look back on his career, and the one thing that I will probably think about the most is how there are so many stars, sports stars, that you wish you got to see that really you just never got the chance to watch. Like, I never got the chance to watch Michael Jordan play basketball. Never got the chance to watch, you know, Joe Montana. Never got the chance to watch Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux. Didn't get the opportunity. Never got the chance to see Muhammad Ali. Jordan, again, never got the chance to see Michael Jordan. Kobe was my generation's Michael Jordan. He gave everybody that did not see Michael Jordan the chance to be Michael Jordan. He took be like Mike as far as anybody ever could. He modeled his game after it. He modeled his style after it. He modeled his competitiveness after it. And he truly did give my generation M- Michael Jordan. Eight oh three oh five fifty 550 is the phone number. If you've got any Kobe stories, were you a fan of him growing up? Did you see him live? Um, give me a call at 803 If you've got stories from yesterday, too, how you felt, I'm welcome. you're well. You're welcome to do that as well. Um, we're going to hear from Jack Armstrong. Toronto Raptors, play-by-play man. And the, the history with the Raptors and Kobe is that that's where the 81-point performance comes from. The best, maybe the best individual performance in sports in a long time. It's up there. If it's not number one, it's certainly up there um, in the last 20 years. And that happened against the Toronto Raptors, so we'll hear Jack Armstrong talk about that a little bit. One other quick Kobe fact about that game. Apparently, I just read this today, that was the only game his grandmother ever came to watch him play. And he scored 81 points, which that number is still mind-boggling that it's even possible that you could score 81 points in a game, but he did it. 803-0550 is the phone number. This is the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. We'll start taking your calls right after the break here on WGR.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your...
1: I thought he was going to live forever. I thought he was invincible. I thought he was, you know, he, he played like that. He he walked like that. He was just a, a confident young man. And when Jerry West drafted him, I remember him telling us when he went one-on-one against Kobe, I mean, I'm sorry, against uh, Michael Cooper, that Kobe was the next greatest player to play in the league.
4: Irvin, magic johnson on kobe bryant courtesy of westwood one sports yeah there's been jerry west was emotional on his interview about it magic tiger woods doc rivers greg popovich who had the best thing to say really he did Popovich comes out after the or the uh, Raptors beat the Spurs, and he starts his press conference before anybody even asks a question. With good game, tough loss, who cares? And that was really the night. I was a little surprised that they played games in the NBA last night. I guess it makes sense in um, how quickly it happened that, you know, you had games starting within an hour, didn't you? Or, like, within hours of his death being reported. That's a tight turnaround, so I'm not going to really criticize the NBA for having games yesterday. I do think they got it right, postponing the Clippers and Lakers game tomorrow. Um, The Lakers are off till Friday. It's a little weird to me. I mean, I'm not... I, I get it, I guess. It's just a little strange to me that the Lakers have just been dormant. And I get it. The whole organization is probably... Shattered over this. Just a little weird, though. No tweets. Nothing on their website. No word from anybody in the organization. I'm sure that'll come in due time. Um, But, yeah, just a little weird. There's nothing, not even, like, on the social media side. Um, LeBron, I don't know how I feel about the camera at the airport from, like, a mile away on LeBron James having a a personal, emotional moment off the plane. Like, I don't know. I saw some people criticizing that. My thought, part of me thinks you're a public figure. You have to expect some of that. But another part of me is like, come on, can we give the guy some space? Like, seriously? With everybody. He'll talk. Don't worry about that. LeBron James is maybe in sports the most, one of the most intelligent and always seems to say the right thing. So there'll be no doubt that he'll uh, he'll have something powerful and impactful to say at some point here. But it's a, real, it's a real tragedy what happened, and I'm glad to see people are spreading around the names and uh, the memories of the other seven that passed away on this helicopter crash in addition to Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna. Um, so it's good to see that happening as well. 803-0550 is the phone number. If you got any thought, if you got any uh, any Kobe calls, I'm willing. To, I'm definitely willing to take them over the course of the entire show here. Um, let's get some more memories though of Kobe Bryant from a man who called his games, and including the the eighty one point performance, the best game of his career, arguably against the Toronto Raptors. Jack Armstrong, Raptors broadcaster. On with Howard and Nate Geary, who was in for Jeremy today. Here uh, is Jack Armstrong with the guys.
2: Talk Kobe Bryant and his impact on the sport on the game, on your life as a sports fan. And uh, as I said, would love to hear from people who had a chance to see him play in person. I did not, but this next person did. And uh, is joining us on our Western Hotline. Jack Armstrong, Raptors broadcaster, kind enough to join us this morning. Uh, Jack, it's Howard and Nate and Brayton. Thanks for coming on with us this morning, first of all, in very difficult times for anybody in the NBA family.
1: Thanks, Howard. Guys, good morning.
2: Jack, you, you're you a lucky man. You got a great job, right? You get a chance to see some unbelievably talented athletes play on a regular basis. Kobe is on that, you know, the Mount Rushmore list. What what always stood out to you? You had a nice, close, <laughs> up-front seat. What always stood out to you whenever you had a chance to call a game where Kobe was playing?
1: Well, it's actually a funny story. Uh, when I was the head coach at Niagara, uh, I was in Philadelphia recruiting, and I had a pickup game in Philadelphia, and there's eight, this eighth grader playing, and I'm like, who the hell is this kid? And they said, oh, that's Joe, uh, Joey Bryant's son, Kobe. I'm like, man, that kid's better than any guy in the gym. And these are guys I'm recruiting for division one that are 18 years old. And he's 14. So I go over to him and I just say, I introduce myself. And I said, if things don't work out at Duke and Kentucky and North Carolina, and LA, you'll always have a home at Niagara University. Good job. That's and, a good pitch.
2: Yep. Yeah. And we <laughs> laughed about it. And, uh,
1: Every time I'd see Kobe, we'd laugh about it. And, uh, obviously, he went, out, he went right to the pros out of high school. But the reason I say that is when you see someone special, they jump off the page at you, they have that "it" factor, and you say to yourself, this guy's got a chance to be special. And from that point, when I saw him, and I saw him a lot as well during high school, uh, and then uh, his entire career goal, tra- when I transitioned from coaching into broadcasting to the Raptors, to Have a, a great front seat to see his greatness. Uh, there, there was just a stage presence about him that the great ones have—a uh, confidence level, a ruthlessness, competitive spirit. If the only guy I can think of in the last 30 years that you know they were very similar. And there's always that comparison between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Uh, you know, they had that type of it factor that the way they played and the way they competed.
2: Jack, I think that's really interesting, and I, I, for me, as as an outsider, I mean, I didn't know the guy obviously, but as a fan watching, one of the things I've learned over the years is these guys are great to get to the professional level. They all are, but then there's a certain, you know, with a guy like Kobe and a guy like Jordan. You know, you're already you're you're one of the best ever. But it's amazing how much they're still driven. Like they have that competitive fire, that desire, that work ethic. Um, like no one's gonna catch me, no one's gonna outwork me. Even though you'd think, man, they are supremely talented. They don't have to work that hard.
1: Well, it's a good point you make because I think some of them have. They all have that little bit of deep down insecurity that drives them. You know, that you're a half step away from the streets and. You know, you look at uh, you know, you look at how you talk to anyone who's been around a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady or uh, guys like that. There's a fanatical uh, dedication to prepare. Uh, you know, everything they do has been rehearsed so many times. Uh, you know, I was in San Antonio yesterday with the Raptors, and obviously, DeMar DeRozan uh, that used to play the first place with the Spurs. Now, I mean, he was heartbroken and. Uh, Kobe Bryant was a big part of his life. Uh, One of our young players, uh, Norm Powell, is playing really well right now. Uh, You know, he spent a lot of time this summer with Kobe Bryant. And uh, I think in talking to both of them, you know, the thing that really jumps off the page about them uh, that that is similar to Kobe is that they're not at the same level as Kobe, but they have that deep-rooted work ethic and fanatical desire uh, to be prepared. And I think so often when you get into big moments, uh, usually the guys that perform at the highest level, uh, what they say excellence is a habit, not an act, uh, the actors don't end up making it big under the, under the gun. But the guys that really have put have, that work in time and time and time again uh, at, a, at an incredibly high level, uh, they're the ones that will perform when the chips are down. And, and Kobe Bryant, was you know one of the uh, great great players of not only our generation but any generation of being able to do that,
2: Jack? What well, you mentioned you were in San Antonio. You're working the game for the Raptors against the Spurs. What was it like ar- around the team yesterday? I-, I thought watching some of the video. You know, there's some great tributes around the league. The 24 second violations, the eight second violations, but. Um, I saw a clip of Greg Popovich, I think it would have been before the game, trying to comfort DeMar DeRozan. I listened to a clip of Austin, uh, I think it was Austin Rivers after his game, talking about how you couldn't even think about the basketball game. It was so hard to concentrate on the game and focus on it. What was it like around the team yesterday uh, with Toronto?
1: You know, I walked on the court yesterday, and one of my dear friends, the a guy named Alex McKechnie, the vice president, director of sports science. He's the guy behind load management with Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he won five championship rings with the Lakers, and obviously he's incredibly tight with Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal, Phil Jackson, the whole crew, and obviously he's done a great job in Toronto for us, winning, helping us win a title as well. And He's the first guy I ran into when I walked on the court yesterday afternoon, and he took his phone out. He goes, Jack, have you seen this yet? I'm like, no, what? And he showed it to me, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And, uh, you know, every player that walked on the floor, you know, you stand in there and guys are all looking at each other like, this. is this real? Did this really happen? And, uh, there were, you know, there was a whole, and even the fans, normally the fans before the game are really engaging and, you know, the, you know, you want pictures and autographs and they're all excited about being there and seeing players and it was really quiet. It was eerily uh, you know, just gloomy and, uh, you know, as the game went on, guys got competitive and, and as Kobe Bryant would have been proud of uh, you know, they, they got after it and they competed at the highest level they could and uh, but there's no question that uh, we were chatting with uh, Demar Derozan's agent yesterday, Aaron Goodwin, and he said that Demar, if you can't play, you know, you, you can't, you know, just don't play. He's so crushed. But you know, he's a great competitor, and he wanted to go out there as, as a tribute to the guy to be idolized, You know, so so every, everyone takes this kind of stuff on a completely different level. But nonetheless, uh, I thought it was really beautifully done by both the Raptors and the Spurs. Uh, to both take a 24-second clock violation in honor of Kobe, and so many of the other teams did that, and uh, it just—it's—it's—it's it's, it's sad. I mean, the guy was a—you know—as a as a person, he was coming into his own at the next stage of his life. You know, as you can see now with what he was doing, and uh, it's just so unfortunate that this happened.
2: Jack uh, Armstrong, with us, Raptors broadcaster. Final thing, Jack, if you could try and put into words maybe you know his impact on the game i mean a, over a, a course of a 20 year career because again one of the things that struck me with listening to all the coverage yesterday so many players around the league now talked about how when they were you know they were kids and they they wanted to be kobe right there's there's always when you're playing whatever sport it is as a kid growing up there's someone you want to be and kobe was like, i think that probably for a lot of the players in the nba and he spanned Multiple generations. Think of all the fans, the young fans who became Laker fans or maybe became NBA fans because they watched Kobe. Is there any way to quantify his impact on the sport?
1: Well, I think the impact he's had on players, no doubt, to me. Uh, I, I think that uh, being around the NBA now for 22 years, uh, what I see is a tremendous level of dedication that the overwhelming majority of the NBA players have today. I mean, there's so much money, and you have agents, and you have workout guys, this, that, the other thing, that if you're going to be at the highest level and be one of the 450 people in the world that has the special gift of playing at the highest level in the world, uh, you know, there, there's a price that has to be paid. And I think it is Dogged determination, uh, you know the the intensity that he played with, uh, the passion, uh, the work he did away from the court. uh, I think is legendary among among athletes, coaches, executives saying to players, "Hey, wait a minute, you're not, you know, that's this is the standard. You're not meeting that standard." And I think Kobe Bryant, I would say, was that standard for for this group of young players. I mean, you look at the guy that broke his record the other night in LeBron James, uh, you know, when I think of LeBron, I mean, he's got a tireless uh, work ethic and and a tremendous love and passion for the sport that, you know, few others have. And, uh, you know, and you look at LeBron, what he represents, and, you know, a lot of people take shots at him and I get that, Uh, but this guy not only on the court, but off the court, carries himself overwhelmingly the right way and is a, a passionate guy about how he does it, and he has very high standards. And if you're a teammate of his, you better have those same high standards.
2: Yeah, I would think, Jack. You know, as a player, when you come into the league, if you you look and see this guy, he's so great, and look how hard he's working. That I better do. I better bring it up myself too, right? I it would drive other players to want to be better.
1: Bang! You hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, that's exactly, and I think that's great for the game. You know, and there were times that can Kobe Ball dominant and could Kobe uh, have so much supreme confidence that you were open and he was going to take a semi-contested shot? Uh, but you know what, what, what defines a great player. I mean, anybody. You know, if you're going to be a pro, you got to make an open shot. If you're going to be a good pro, you got to make a semi-contested shot. And if you're going to be a great pro, like a transcendent pro, only the few special ones can make a fully contested shot. And he could do that. And He would say to himself, hey, Howard, you're open open over there in the corner. I'm not giving it to you. I'll pick this fully contested shot because I have such... And there were times that would create uh, some drama within the locker room because guys would get ticked off at that. But I don't think he meant it in a way that, like, hey, I'm selfish, you stink, and I'm great. I just think he had such confidence and such a fierce desire to win. He wanted in his own hands when the, when the chips were
2: down. Jack Armstrong with us, Raptors broadcaster on the Western Hotline. You're awesome, Jack. You're the best. Thank you for taking some time out and coming on with us this morning. Appreciate the insight you could give us this morning on Kobe.
4: Guys, my pleasure. talk. Great stuff there from Raptors broadcaster Jack Armstrong. Mark Kestesher from ESPN was on with uh, Shope and the Bulldog earlier as well. You can find that on demand at WGR550.com. There's a new report on the Kobe Bryant um The accident, I guess, itself and what happened, which I think that is still what everybody's still trying to find out. Um, Investigators trying to discover why this happened. A lot of fog, it appears, and that, of course, contributed to um, this tragedy that happened yesterday in Los Angeles. So I'll I'll give you a little update on what's going on with that. And then uh, we'll switch gears, get into the Sabres in the second hour. They are back. They will be on the ice tomorrow night. Hosting the Ottawa Senators, a five game homestand, and really their last stand for the season. We'll get into that after this. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR.
3: The news is just so devastating for, for Vanessa and, and, his, and his family. And there's just so many people he touched. And, you know, it's, it's looking at my young players and, and seeing how emotional uh, they are. They didn't even know him, you know, and uh, it just tells you how far his reach was. So, I mean, this is just shocking news for all of us. And sorry, I don't have a lot to say. Uh, I just can't uh, have to go talk to a team.
4: An emotional Doc Rivers, the head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers, last night. Clippers, Lakers for tomorrow night has been postponed date to be announced later. I think it's a smart move by the NBA. Um, and all the remembering Kobe Bryant as a player, as a person, his daughter, Gianna, the seven other victims on board, the helicopter crash. I've really not seen a lot of attention paid to the actual crash. Um, so just give you a couple updates. If you haven't been keeping up with that side of the story, um, I did see WBE on our sister station at 9:30 just tweeted out a few minutes ago uh, a report a national report from the AP that there was no black box on board the helicopter which is a little strange um, that would give more insight into what actually happened that there's other details though in the story that the last radio transmission from the pilot to air traffic control was that they were in a ton of fog and that they wanted to raise altitude, and that's really when uh, when things started to go wrong. But it was a, a fog issue, and there's a lot of um, back and forth, I guess, on the helicopter. The pilot was given special permission to fly in that dense fog, which is not granted to everybody. And that it was deemed unsafe, even for the LAPD, uh, to not fly their helicopters at the same time they were being grounded. So... I guess there's a a little bit of debate on whether that helicopter should have been in the air at all, but it doesn't sound like it was uh, too abnormal. Um, So, yeah, there's just a little update for you on what actually happened with the crash and um, the tragedy that took Kobe Bryant's life yesterday in Los Angeles. A player that did mean a lot to me, an athlete that meant a lot to me, and I think you can just – you heard Jack Eichel talked about it today. He He sprained his ankle Twice, and his motivation to fix it and to get back even stronger was watching the documentary. I think the Netflix has on Kobe Bryant and how he dealt with his Achilles tear in late in his career. There are stories like that everywhere in sports. I, I wonder if there is a pro athlete that had that knew who Kobe Bryant was that wasn't in some way inspired by him. Super sad. And it is a death that hits harder and more wide, more widely than any I can remember. Rivals Princess Diana, Whitney Houston, John Lennon, Michael Jackson. Like, you've got to go into music. And it that that's really what it is. He's a sports figure, but he is a sports figure that transcends sports. And... You have musicians like that where there's been similar um, types of days like today where that's happened, but this is really in sports. This has been, it's, it seems, this has been the hardest-hitting one that has happened because I couldn't give you an example of anything close. Me and Mike Baggerman from WBN, also down the hall, um, when I came in today, we were having that same conversation. Like, what does this even compare to? Like, what does this day compare to? And I Jose Fernandez... The Marlins pitcher who lost his life a couple of years ago in a boating accident, like that's, that's, that, that was, that was awful. But you don't have much else. 41 years old, out of nowhere. There it is on on Sunday afternoon, Kobe Bryant gone. The finality of it is that knot I think you have in your stomach. Because every once in a while it comes back to you like that's it. It's final. Kobe's not coming back. And that is just, that's that pit in your stomach. That, to me, every time I look up and I see something on Twitter or I see something on the TV, that just reminds me, it's like, oh, he's gone. That's right. You got to keep reminding yourself of the finality of it while we're having the conversation remembering him. And that's that, that can be tough. All right, we'll switch gears, get into the Sabres. Um, they're on a five-game homestand. If, if you want to give a call, though, on Kobe Bryant, I will, of course, take it. So you can do that at 803-0550. Um, but we'll switch gears a little bit. We'll get into hockey. The Sabres are back in action tomorrow. And uh, Jeff Skinner back on the ice tonight, today at practice. So uh, pretty important to um, any slim playoff hope they may have would be Jeff Skinner coming back and scoring some goals. So we'll talk about that when we come back on the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase on WGR.
2: Is this the Nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap? No, this is Patrick. Is this the nightcap?
1: No, this is
0: Patrick.
2: Time now for the nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550.
4: (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm trying not to laugh. There's a... (laughs) If you want to know what I'm laughing about, you can go on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR. There's a NBA announcer who used a bad word that didn't know it was a bad word. He thought he was inventing a new word to describe a certain type of shot. Um, He did not invent a word. He just didn't know what it meant Pre- previously. It's pretty funny. Anyways, Sabres are back. All right, hockey back. All-star festivities on the weekend. I did not watch any of it. Nope. None of it. I don't know. It doesn't draw my interest. I I take off from sports this this past weekend. Pro bowl, all-star game. I will I give the league's credit though. I will give the NBA credit, I will give the NHL credit. I will give the NFL credit. I believe pretty much every sports league right now is doing the best they can to make these games entertaining. I like that it's not like it was ten years ago where they would just put the games on and that was it. If you watch, you watch. If you don't, you don't. It's for the sponsors anyway, it's for the kids. So I don't really care if you care. That seemed to be the attitude with most sports league. Now sports leagues, now they're like they're trying. The NHL switches to three on three. Okay, that actually makes sense on paper. The games are more watchable. Are they watchable still? Not really, but they're more watchable than they used to be. They used to be unbelievably bad. It was not hockey. You could not call it hockey. It's hockey now. Because guys can't hide. You can't hide the laziness as much. There is a little bit more effort. They've gotten the effort level to go up, what, like 30%? It's gone up. And that's been in large part due to the three-on-three. The format makes it a little more exciting. It's a series of games rather than just one game. Um, you Get some more entertainment that way. I like that they're trying new stuff at the skills competition, the Shooting Stars Challenge, which I didn't. I saw the highlights of it. I didn't really, didn't really like it that much. But I like they're trying it. I like that they're putting players up in the 200 level and them shoot down under the ice. I like that they're giving it a shot. The Pro Bowl. I don't really know what the Pro Bowl has done specifically, but the effort level's been a little higher than it used to be. Because, again, that used to be a flat-out embarrassment. And, again, it's still an all-star game. You can only get it so high. But last year you had like a 26-7 to Pro Bowl. The score of a Pro Bowl was 26-7. to Again, they're not going 100%, but there's enough effort that going on there where defense is being played. NBA, same thing. The effort level went up a couple of years ago when LeBron James and Steph Curry decided that we're just gonna we're gonna lead the way. We're gonna go 100 percent and then everybody else will follow. So I think they're doing okay. But I'm not watching. I'm not watching. I will watch the Sabres when they return to the ice tomorrow night against the Ottawa Senators. Um, five game homestand coming up. I don't for a second believe the Sabres will make the playoffs this season. The math does not check out in their favor. They're the last example of the Sabres making the playoffs. We saw what it takes, right? Maybe not right. Maybe nobody remembers. It was nine years ago. You might have forgotten. But the Sabres in 2011, when they make the postseason as a seven seed, they are way back, way back. They are not in the playoff race entering the new year. And Lindy Ruff at his Buffalo, was it the Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame induction something, he was at something, where he slams his fist on the podium and says, darn it, we're going to the playoffs this year. You know what, yeah, it takes us, the math says it'll take us being the best team in the league for the rest of the way, but we're going to do it. And amazingly, they did it. With Jordan Leopold as a top pair defenseman, they made the postseason. They were one of the best teams, if not the best team in hockey, down the stretch. That's really what it takes. From here on out, from January 27th to early April, the Sabres have to be, if not the best team in the league, right there. At Near the top. And, I don't know, has anything about this team showed you that they're capable of that? There, there isn't even guys around here with upside. Everyone on this team, other than Jack Eichel and Daleen and maybe Pilot, that's about it, like a tenth of your team, maybe, has upside that you don't, that is still undiscovered. You know what Giergensens is. You know what Larson is. You know what Lazar is. You know what Ukposo is. You know what Carter Hutton is. You know what Ristolainen and Bogosian. You know what a lot of these guys are. Even Montour to an extent. I think Montour is a good defenseman, but you know what he is. I don't see the upside in this team to where they could climb out of the depths of 500 hockey, which they're at basically all season. To suddenly they're the best team in the league. This run that Columbus is on. Columbus has won 16 of the last 18 games. Something crazy. I know they've won 6 in a row. Florida, same thing. Florida and Columbus have gone on torrid streaks. In the last month. I don't think the Sabres have that type of firepower. I don't. It really would take your goaltender going on a run... That would carry them all the way. And Allmark has played better this season. He has played well enough to me to where I would want him around next season instead of Carter Hutton. I think that's pretty obvious at this point. But has he done enough to think that he's even a number one goaltender, let alone a goaltender that is capable of carrying you and going on a month or two stretch where he's at a 935 save percentage? I haven't seen that and without that happening i don't think the sabers are capable of the run it will take now all of that being said mathematically it's tough but it's not impossible here's the thing i think they got to win their next 5 games or i'm not i'm not giving them even a sliver of hope if they don't win their next 5 games i am starting to look at the bottom of the standings i'm going to start looking at oh okay well <laughs> detroit <laughs> This is a signal right here that I have not looked at the bottom of the standings until this very moment. I cannot believe it. Detroit is at 28 points. They're that bad? I knew they were, like, on a historically bad pace, but what? 28? Okay, sorry, sidetracked. Detroit's got 28 points in 51 games. Holy cow. (laughs) It's so bad. It's, like, worse than the tank sabers. Anyways, okay, so you're not getting the first, you're not getting last. They have a twenty three point lead on last. Um, but I'm gonna start looking beneath you. I'm gonna start looking at all right, let's go Montreal. let's go Rangers. Montreal's tied with you. Rangers are one point back. Ottawa, New Jersey, you're kind of out of the out of that race too. They're ten points behind you. but hey, Nashville, 51 points. Minnesota, 52. Maybe I'll start hoping they win a little bit because here I am again. I'm the Buffalo Sabres in in this decade um, or in the new decade, and it's the same as the last one where I get to January, I get to March, and the trade deadline, and I'm thinking about who's behind me instead of who's ahead of me. I don't want to be in this existence again, but that is where we are. We are back to having to place your hope. In unproven 18, 19-year-old prospects and draft picks. And finishing near the bottom so you can get as good of draft picks as you can. That's where we are. Unless they did win their next five games. Or even if you got like nine of a possible ten points. Maybe you could keep me around a little longer. Maybe you can keep fans around a little longer. Maybe you can get some sort of belief going. Can you get me to Victor Olofsson returning to the lineup? Can you be in the race when that happens? For that to be the case, 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10, this next five games, they need to dominate it. They need to. Because this is an easy stretch of games coming up, as easy as it gets. They have a five-game homestand, three of which are against non-playoff teams, two of which are two of the worst teams in the league. So tomorrow against Ottawa. Ottawa's one of the worst teams in hockey. A negative 33 goal differential. Some of the their bottom five in the league in possession stats. A lot of their chances come from bad scoring opportunities because that's all they can get. And a ton of their goals come from their top line. That's it. Peugeot, Anthony DeClaire. Like that's where their goals come from. Shabbat on the blue line. They don't have the depth. They don't have the high-end talent. They don't have the goaltending. Beat that team at home. Then you play Montreal. Now Montreal's tied with you in the standings, and they have a better goal differential, but you're at home. That's a beatable team. If you told me you're at home against a team that's tied with you in the standings, I should want to expect to win that game. Carey Price has not been good this season. He has not. Montreal's dealing with injuries. Jonathan Drouin, uh, Joel Armia. They've had guys hurt. So, not scared of them at home. And they're below you right now, technically tied, 51 points. Win that game. Then you play Columbus. Saturday matinee, for some reason the Sabres play have a much better record in Saturday afternoon games. Columbus is on a torrid streak. I'm not going to build that up to be an easy matchup by any means. But, hey, they're not one of the best teams in hockey. They're not Tampa. They're not Boston. They're not Washington. They're not St. Louis. You know, top wildcard team. They're better than me. But I'm home. Let's see if I can get a win out of that. Because if I'm going to make the playoffs, those are the games I'm going to have to win. The only ones I'm going to be able to afford to lose are against the top teams. So Columbus is that third game. Then Colorado. Again, I'm not going to build that to be an easy game. They're the second best team in the Western Conference. Not easy, but it is home. And then the fifth game is against Detroit, who I just realized and can't believe they only have 28 points. 28 points? It's January 27th. When did the Sabres hit 28 points? This year. And they're not even good. They're the Sabres. Again. 28 points. That is a 13 point lead in last. Imagine a season so bad that there isn't even drama to who finishes last. Part of the reason that Sabres tank year was, embarrassingly and sadly, the most fun I've had as a Sabre fan in 10 years is because there was drama to that season. We were scoreboard, scoreboard watching the hell out of Edmonton and Arizona. That was a tight race. We were rooting for those teams hard. And it came down to the last few games. In fact, this it came down to the second last game. Right? That's the Columbus-Cam Atkinson game where the Sabres clinched last because there's only one game after that, which I think is at home, against Pittsburgh. Detroit doesn't even have that going for them this year. They have a 13-point lead on last place. So you better win that game. You don't beat Detroit. That's nah, definitely over for me. I don't care what you did in the previous four games. You don't beat Detroit. Get out of here. I, I'm done with you. Start selling everybody that's a UFA. Every single person. that's a, If they don't beat Detroit, on February 6th, I want every single player who is an upcoming UFA gone by the weekend. Maybe not by the weekend. They have a game the next night. But they need to get 9 out of 10. That's what the math really adds up to if you want any shot. You have a 10-point gap between yourself and a playoff spot. Florida has 61. Carolina has 61. That's third in the Atlantic. That's second in the wild card. There are two teams ahead of you. That's actually not that bad. For being 10 points out, to only have two other teams in between you and a playoff spot, that's not bad at all. So I'm not as worried about that, but I will say Toronto is one of those teams. And again, I would expect them to make the playoffs. Toronto's four points out of a playoff spot. Then you've got Philly, who's not in a spot. They're one point out. Ten-point gap. If I get that nine out of ten, let's say I do get that five-game win streak. And let's say everybody in front of me plays 500 hockey. Now I'm sitting five points out going into February. Again, don't like my odds, but I might be in a race here. I think I'm in a race if that happens. Maybe one team plays slightly above 500 hockey, so maybe I'm talking about six points. I don't know. But I think if you can get within five points by the deadline, which is in a month, then I'm not going to say never on it. But to do that, you're going to have to put together either one enormous win streak, like the 10-game win streak they went on last year, or I've got to put a couple of four-game win streaks together, or a five-game win streak and a th- four-game win streak. i got to get some win streaks piled up. Or they're gonna have no shot. Skinner's back. I do believe that helps. I know he's getting a little bit of criticism right now for the season he's having, and part of the con- that is the contract. And to me, I don't really like to factor in the contract when thinking about what a player is. That is, in a way, separate. It's more so separate, I guess, when the guy has just signed because there's nothing you can do about it. It's different when Zach Bogosian's on your team and he is a black hole on your blue line and he's eating up five million dollars of cap space at that point get him off my team get me some cap relief and improve my roster Skinner just signed the deal that's not going anywhere there's no chance so to me I don't care about the contract look at what Jeff Skinner is as a player look at what his career is he does this every other year he really does he goes from a 30 5 Ish goal pace one year to he's somewhere between 20 25. This is what he is. This year 11 goals in 39 games, about a roughly 23 goal pace. Last year 40. This is going to become a trend. The every other before that 24, before that 37, before that 28. See what's happening here? There's a trend. Skinner does have seasons like last year. You will get those years out of him where he is one of the best even-strength goal goal scorers in the sport. And he will have seasons where he scores between 35 and 40 goals. It will happen. But he will also have seasons where he's in the 20s, and even in the low 20s. He's had like four or five years in his 10-year career where that's happened. And that's especially going to be the case when... You're putting him with Marcus Johansson. And do not forget that this guy, who yes, scored 40 goals last year, you're expecting him to do how much when how many of those 39 games were played with Vladimir Sabotka? He basically played with one linemate for the majority of his season. Because guess what? Vladimir Sabatka is not only not, he's not scoring opportunities you give him. He is not doing anything to get you into space and to put the puck on your stick in prime scoring opportunities. You want to look at why Jeff Skinner's goal total is at it is. Maybe you should look at the line that he was on more frequently this season than any other combination. He was playing with the worst offensive player on the team. And you wonder why he has 11 goals? I, I don't need him to play with Jack Eichel. I'd like him to play with Jack Eichel right now. To, not, not kidding you. I'd, I'd like to see Reinhardt on the second line and put Skinner up with Eichel. But I don't need Skinner with, with Eichel. He's proven in his career during his time in Carolina that he can produce when he doesn't have an elite center. But I still need, if I'm not going to have the elite center, then I need the other two line mates to be pretty good. And he's got one. Marcus Johansson's been pretty good this season. But I need another. And that's been the biggest downfall of the Sabres right now. That second line center spot, that's where you're missing it. you want, That's thats who's at fault for Jeff Skinner's goal total. It's not him. It's a combination of Ralph Krueger and Jason Bottrell. It's Jason Bottrell's fault for not having another top six player on this team. Especially a center and it's Ralph Krueger's fault for not spreading the talent out enough to where Skinner can be scoring goals like he should be. When Victor Olofsson, there should be no excuse, no excuse at all for not getting Jeff Skinner two solid line mates. When Eichel and Olofsson produce at the rate they do, whether Sam Reinhart's on that line or not, it's a simple experiment. They can try it. I'm amazed they haven't tried it yet. I think Reinhardt should be that second-line center. But I don't even need to get bogged down in that debate for a second here. It shouldn't even be a debate. It's the easiest thing in the world to me. But anyways, just keep in at center then, if you're that worried about it. Are you really telling me that you can't throw Connor Sherry or Jimmy Vc up on that first line and suddenly Jack Eichel playing at an MVP-caliber level is still not going to produce... That Victor Olofsson, despite the fact that he doesn't have the greatest right winger, won't still be scoring goals because Jack Eichel is on the ice with him? That line will still produce. And then suddenly, now look where Jeff Skinner's at. Alright, he doesn't have the elite centerman, but he's got two pretty darn good playmakers on his line in Marcus Johansson and Sam Reinhardt. How have they not even tried that yet? Tried it! I'm not guaranteeing you it's going to work, but ho- come on. You haven't tried it? Spread the wealth a little bit. It's been my biggest issue with Ralph Kruger this season. I've, I've been impressed with a lot of what Ralph Kruger has done system-wise and communication-wise and his intelligence level. You can hear it. His comments on Kobe Bryant today. He This guy is incredibly smart. But that's a simple solution to your line combinations. That he hasn't even, even tried it. It's been... Over, almost 50 games. Maybe over 50 games, actually, at this point. And not one has that been attempted. That blows my mind. That I can't believe. Until that happens, I'm, I'm going to be yelling about it. So prepare yourself. Eight zero three zero five fifty is the phone number. If you've got any thoughts on the Sabres right now, we'll hear more from the Sabres coach. Ralph Krueger on Jeff Skinner returning to the ice. Victor Olofsson status. He's out with an injury right now. Um, of course, comments on Kobe Bryant who lost his life yesterday tragically in a helicopter crash. Ralph Krueger had some good things to say on that, um, and I think that's definitely worthy of hitting the airwaves. So we'll, we'll get uh, we'll get the coach on right after this. On the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase on WGR. Got two shows for you this week. Two Nightcaps. Tonight, Wednesday. And then Tuesday, we've got Sabres hosting the Senators. Thursday, the Sabres host the Montreal Canadiens. Friday, Bandits against the Rochester Nighthawks. I'll be at that game, actually. so You'll have that here for you on WGR. Sabres back at it. Bye week last week. All star break. The games in hand thing has been a thing for them all season. That's now caught up because of their bye week going into the all star break. So uh, we no longer have to uh, mention games in hand. They're just 10 points out. That's it. Ralph Kruger, uh, very intelligent and very um, thoughtful, thought provoking. Um, comments on Kobe Bryant today. That's a part of his meeting with the media as well as uh, the the team itself getting back in action. Jeff Skinner getting back on the ice. Victor Olofsson's status as well. A lot of good stuff here from the Sabres coach, so we'll bring that to you now. Here is Ralph Krueger meeting with the media early today.
3: Jeff Skinner a go tomorrow. Do you know him yet? Yes.
4: Jeff goal. Yeah. I want you to ask
3: about- if he doesn't catch flu tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're optimistic that, uh, you know, we, we still need to, to give it a couple of weeks probably, but uh, he's progressing in a really good way. So it's, uh, every step's been positive, but we're definitely not going to rush the situation. When you look at the schedule here, how much was it imperative you practiced a long time yesterday and today, yeah. you're not going to have maybe another three weeks to do it? Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, one of those where you're curious about the reentry. And I have to say it's been outstanding. Yesterday was a little bit more jagged, and uh, you know some timing and hands were were off. But today we were really impressed with the with the engagement of the players and the speed and the tempo. But you don't have a lot of practices ahead. I mean it's going to be about conserving energy between the games and the pace that's coming at us. And we are happy to get back to games. But uh, again, we. Just need to be efficient with our video meetings. We need to be efficient off ice and how we communicate with the guys to find the balance between information flow and keeping them fresh as we, as we go through the pace ahead, which is going to be exciting. It's going to be fun, but it, uh, you know, we need to manage it really well. Well, we need to have an excellent start. There's no question that uh, coming out of this game against Jersey tonight that Ottawa will have that uh, game-warm edge, so we need to be bang on, we need to be simple and just stay true to our principles as we find our legs. And we need to expect that you know, there will be 10 minutes of acclimatization, but once we get that, I feel confident that you know, we can use the, the energy that we feel in the group right now and channel it in the right way. It's going to be... Uh, it's, there's going to be some good battles ahead. This group looks battle ready to me and feels battle ready, and you can feel a freshness that's channeled down the right path right now. It's um, so so maybe maybe turn that into some good hockey here.
4: What is your, I'm sorry, what yeah. is your message to your team for how to approach
3: the rest of this season? Keeping our picture small, we haven't changed anything in our strategy. So all this pause did was pause truly in the sense that we re-entered yesterday as if we hadn't had the break and uh, you know we're working in very small pictures of development here and we are sh- pushing each other to continue the growth and every day and not not to uh, do anything other than take care of what we can take care of and we you know we need we know know there's some business ahead everybody's clear about that we speak openly about it but as soon as the, the path ahead and the challenge of it is clear we get back to a small picture, and that's what we're going to do right now is keep it small, keep, keep uh, pushing each other to improve, uh, keep, keep cementing the type of hockey we need to play to be competitive and to be a top team in this league, and we all knew it wouldn't happen overnight, but we want to fight for that here every day, and uh, and get ourselves back in the race is certainly something we know is not going to happen overnight, and we, we, we need to stick with our process. We had 10 excellent games in a row before the break, where every game we were in, every game we were competitive, every game we were feeling Sabres hockey in in periods. And uh, what we'd like to do is is start seeing it through 60 minutes on a consistent basis here. And that, that's what we're concentrating on. How have, you seen, how
1: have you seen Minas adjust to and kind of grow into his role as a starter? He's never played this much in the
3: NHL, obviously. Nope. I mean, I guess everybody who becomes a starter needs to have this phase at some point in their career. They'll, you know, any, everybody have went through it. And what we like is just the way nothing has changed in the way he behaves off the ice or away from the games. Nothing. He, he's the same guy he was in the summer when I spoke to him. He, he seems to have uh, a really good balance, which helps as a starter. And somebody taking the workload he has, he, uh, he's, he's managing his game and his life away from the rink really well. Because, to tell you the truth, I don't see a difference in him to entry to, to, till today. What we see different is what he's doing in practice and what he's doing during games. That's, that's where we see the difference and that's where you want to see it in somebody carrying the load he does. But. Uh, his personality—he stayed uh, very upbeat. He's positive. He's a—he's 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 a very high-energy guy in our environment of, of team, and he's always looking for solutions, and uh, it shows up in his game right now. Watching Montour from my eyes, it just appears he has some inconsistency. And i wanted to ask: Do you think he struggles a little bit with one shift at the left side, the
2: next shift's on the right side, then there's yep. two shifts on the left side? Do you think the going back and forth like, yep.
3: within a period is yep. bothering him? Some well, there's no question with the right-handers that we've, we've, had a, we've had an ask there that's been tough at times. But Montour has improved so dramatically here in the last few months for, from a coaching perspective. His understanding of the game we need to play and his ability with his foot speed and, uh, and hockey sense to be able to create pressure on the opposition, whether on the left or right side, he, he seems to be getting more and more comfortable with this game and really embracing it and continues to add offensively. But you you are for sure right that every player that gets asked to flip-flop during games, because 7-11 has just been something that's worked for us from a consistency standpoint, the the defensemen, of course, have to pay a price in that process. So it's not ideal. You know, you'd like to settle in eventually with some left-right and uh, consistent pairs. But I think those challenges have also made him better. I think he's uh, he's improved also because of the... The changing of sides that he's needed to do at times and Miller has done the same and you know, we've had BOGO doing that in games and it's it's never easy for those players, but it also makes them stronger and helps them to deal with uh, playing out of both corners, playing up both ball walls, you know, attacking offensively, also from the blue line on your offside can be an advantage at times. So as much as there's disadvantages, there are times where there's advantages for that. So um, Brandon has, um, but again, his, his development has been really exciting to watch, and we're, we're really looking forward to his next steps. I
1: get the small picture stuff, but what kind of opportunity
3: is, front, is in front of the guys with nine out of the next 10 at home? That's a huge opportunity for us to get ourselves <clears throat> back into the race. You know, there's, um, <clears throat> my voice is going away first day off. <laughs> this is the day off, right? The, uh, the, you know, I, I have to say that, that, uh, that what we feel is a real comfort here at playing in front of our home crowd and playing in our building. We made it a goal this year to make it a difficult place to play in, and we believe it is that, and we need to feed on that and make sure we don't get comfortable being at home either. Sometimes flip-flopping between road and home games is, makes it more fun to be at home. You should never take it for granted to be in front of your own crowd, and we will not do it during this stretch. And it is an opportunity that we all know uh, we'll decide which direction this season goes, and we need to jump and be be an outstanding home team here for the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, the record does show that you're much better at home. Yeah. You're having a good season. What is it? Like, do you see something different? <clears throat> I think it's a combination of the other teams playing better at home sometimes. Uh, we, we've spoken about this on the road. I've spoken with all of you about it, that I had a feeling that there is no real difference of engagement between our home and road games from the players. Uh, our finishing on the specialty teams has been a little bit rougher, and uh, I actually like in this last 10 game stretch the way we've stepped up on the road. I think we've been a more competitive team, we've been a better team on the road, and we're not afraid of that uh, that those stretches coming ahead. but it is it is a different uh, different opposition that you're often facing, uh, an opposition who who hasn't done the traveling, here into Buffalo and uh, and and just getting used to that pace. We are still at heart a young team, and we still are uh, a team with 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 uh, that's learning to deal with all of the uh, the pressure put on you in the National Hockey League through travel. You know, but I think we're getting better at it. I, I do see improvement there. So let's keep building on that. What was the nice. Uh, that was really shocking. I, I don't watch television at all, and I did last night. You know, it's, uh, it, it, I love the world-class athletes, and I get goosebumps thinking about the, uh, the amount of amazing athletic performances I saw from, from Kobe. And then if you look at how he, how he was uh, working on his, his next stage of life, I think that's being spoken about a lot, uh, because it is a tough step for a superstar like that. And uh, yeah, it's just extremely tragic. To uh, you know, to have a, a life cut so short from somebody who had the opportunity now to inspire so many people, and that's gone. That's gone forever. Nobody can take that that space. And um, I always find that tragic because you know the world needs good leaders. The world needs good examples, and the world needs people that can inspire other people. And you know, the world lost a, a big inspiration yesterday from uh, you know with Kobe going
1: impact in Europe that he had in the United States, or how would it be different
3: there than it was here? Yeah, I mean, basketball has really grown in in the international s- space, and you can see how much uh, basketball means in countries that people wouldn't believe that it's such a major sport in in Germany, in Italy, in Spain, in, in Croatia, and in all those countries. It's, it's like a top, top, top attended sport. So... Uh, the superstars of the NBA are, are big names there and it's uh it's resonating right now. My family's all in Switzerland right now and it's it's front front news everywhere in a country where basketball isn't even big like Switzerland. So he was he was bigger than the game itself in so many ways.
4: Well said there from Ralph Kruger, the Sabres' head coach on uh Kobe Bryant, who we have spent much of the uh, of the day talking about here in WGR and on, uh, here on the Nightcap. You can check out a couple of really good interviews. We played one of them earlier. Jack Armstrong, Raptors broadcaster with Howard and Nate this morning. That's on demand at WGR550.com and the Radio.com app, as is Mark Kestisher from ESPN on with uh, Shope and the Bulldog earlier as well. Alright, we'll come back and wrap things up. Any final words you got? Any last calls? 803-0550. Last call on the Nightcap after this here on WGR.
2: So the 49ers' rugged offense, their uh, run offense is what you said, right? They're very, very good. Uh, but you can't slight Jimmy either because Jimmy's a good player. And he can throw the ball when needed. So uh, you've got to play complete game, offense, defense. Make sure that you're sound all the way around.
4: Chiefs head coach Andy Reid. Oh, yeah, Super Bowl week. With all the tragedy that happened yesterday with Kobe Bryant and the helicopter crash, I think uh, – You know, I kind of forgot that, oh yeah, Super Bowl this week. Um, That's Andy Reid. There's a lot of stuff going on in the NFL today that's uh, newsworthy, reports at least wise, that is not related to Chiefs and 49ers on Sunday. The report from Jay Glazer that the Chargers have moved on from Phillip Rivers. First of all, anyone criticizing the Chargers for what they're doing to Phillip Rivers, you're out of your mind. The Giants did the opposite with Eli Manning, and they basically threw away four years of Odell Beckham and whatever good young players they had on their team. They threw away four years to let Eli go as long as he wanted. I appreciate that the Chargers, after one really bad Phillip Rivers season, go, all right, we're going to cut the cord. We're going to move on because this isn't working. And we know that you're the, the greatest quarterback in our team's history, but when you're making decisions based on the future, you should never look in the past like that. And the Giants did that. Look at the Giants. Do not do what they did with Eli Manning. They should have kicked Eli Manning out the door four years ago. And the Chargers are now doing that with Phillip Rivers. And maybe they replace him with Tom Brady. I don't know. That'll be ticket-driven, of course. Or maybe they find a way to get Tua Tagovailoa. They're sixth overall. One pick behind Miami. Miami might go up to get Burrow anyway. Um, I have a crazy-ish, hot-take-ish opinion on what the Bengals should do first overall, by the way. It's not really what I was going with this. It was more Philip Rivers directed. Um, anyways, on Rivers... Moved his family to Florida, my guess would be he's either in Tampa or he retires. Maybe even backs up. I can see that. See Phillip Rivers backing up to Jameis Winston. You just have the two most turnover-worthy quarterbacks in the league in one place. Uh, It could happen. The Bengals, by the way. I'll get to it now. So that way I don't spend too much time on it. The report slash rumor is that the Dolphins want to move up to one to draft Joe Burrow. I would act for three first-round picks. If I'm if I'm the Bengals, I think I'd do it. I really do. I, I that might be crazy to say because Joe Burrow might be the next franchise quarterback that comes into the league, but I like Tua more as a player, and he might be injury-prone, and that's a risk. But I think there is a much higher ceiling there with Tua. I think he has better athleticism. I think the 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 age isn't is a thing there, and. I'll be honest, I'd be a little gun-shy with Burrow because he only had one incredible year. It was as incredible as it gets. Maybe the best college football season ever, but where were you before that? Where were your draft prospects before that? Where were your big seasons before that? That would have me a little bit worried. And I think if I could get three, two extra... First, would I rather? This is really what it comes down for me. If I could find a way to have either Joe Burrow or Tua and two extra first-round picks, I'm taking Tua and two extra first-round picks because I'm not that confident. I would pick Joe Burrow ahead of Tua, but I'm not that confident that he's just got to be better. This is already a crapshoot, drafting quarterbacks. And in this specific circumstance, I think there's a great argument to be made that the Bengals should move down to five. The issue there, though, is then maybe you have to move back up a spot or two because you've got two teams on the quarterback hunt. Behind you in in the Chargers and in the Carolina Panthers, they pick six and seven, and two, three, four could all be available to be moved up in. So maybe the Bengals would have to use some of that ammo to move back up higher. But I'd still do it. I'd still do it. Find a way to get to a. Take the two extra first round picks. Miami, you could take Joe Burrow. That's what I do if I were the Bengals. But they don't really uh, do things like that. They just kind of pick where they pick, and they don't really trade a lot because they don't really care as much about winning. It seems as everybody else. So. We'll see what they do. It's probably not what I just recommended. They'll probably just draft Joe Burrow, but hey, you never know. All right, thanks everybody for listening to today's show, and um, hope we don't have to have one like it ever again where we have to have a show remembering a legend, an all-time great, but if there's anything that today has proven to me, it is that Kobe Bryant meant more To more people than I could have ever imagined. And obviously thoughts and prayers are to his family and all of the families of those victims. And um, yeah, it sucks. Kobe Bryant passing away way too young at the age of 41 yesterday with his daughter Gianna at the age of 13. Alright, thanks everybody for listening to today's show. I'm sure there'll be plenty more Kobe Bryant. Um, memories and stories coming your way on ESPN radio. So stay tuned for that. So this has been the nightcap with Joe DiBiase. I'll be back with you on Wednesday here on WGR.
2: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.